0: Thank you. (laughs) That's so great. Oh, man. I think about God's grace every time I walk up behind a pulpit. It's just the grace of God that lets us do anything for Jesus, right? So isn't worship wonderful? So, you know, the song, some of the songs that we do, you repeat the chorus a bunch of times, and the Waymaker is one of them. Here's the way to enjoy The repetition of chorus. Think of heaven and think of the repetition of one phrase in the worship of heaven Holy, holy, holy is the Lord, God Almighty. And they keep saying that. The four living creatures say it. Then the 24 elders say it. Then all of the angelic hosts say it. And then everyone in heaven says it. And they keep repeating it. So how could it be not old and stale and lack freshness? Here's why. Because the Spirit of God, each time it is stated brings new and fresh illumination of of the meaning of what it means that God is holy and separate and unique and completely different than anything else we know or have ever understood. And there's a fresh understanding every time we say it. It's the illumination of the Spirit. And this can go on forever and ever and ever because God is infinite. He is without limit. So there's no limitation to His holiness or any limitation to His illumination. So... We just keep going. Waymaker. Miracle worker. Promise keeper. Light in the darkness. That is who you are. We can just keep saying that forever and ever because the Spirit of God provides illumination. So can I tell you a little story? I'm a baseball fan. Before we get into the scriptures, I don't want to talk about baseball. I do want to talk about baseball, but not here. Um, anyway, I'm a baseball fan. And I experienced... a a very traumatic experience when I was nine years old. I grew up in Southern California, and I'm an L.A. Dodgers fan. Sorry about that. (laughs) But, you know, I'm a loyal man, so I still am a Dodgers fan. Anyway, nine years old, the Dodgers and Giants were playing in a three-game playoff to determine who was going to go to the World Series as the representative of the National League that year. And the Dodgers won the first game. And the Giants won the second game. And then the Giants won the third game when the Dodgers blew the lead. It traumatized me. I wept. Seriously, I wept. I was traumatized. I had deep wounds that were within my psyche. And those wounds haven't gone away. Because even now, when my team is playing in a crucial game like they will be tonight, I would almost prefer not to watch it because it's too painful to see it because I don't know the ending, and I don't want to go through that again. All right, so what does that have to do with anything? We know the ending. And we know what the ending is going to look like. It's going to be Jesus on His throne. It's going to be the saints worshiping Him. It's going to be His kingdom. It's going to be the whole earth filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. It's going to be people willingly serving Him in the day of His power. It's going to be completely, 100% motivation coming from the Spirit. It's going to be complete power coming from Him to serve Him from the Spirit. It's going to be amazing and we know that that's the end game because he rose from the dead right? so I'm not worried about the game anymore the game of life because I know the ending and it's okay even though life is really crazy this year isn't it? since the last time I was here speaking to this fellowship nuts crazy stuff has happened in our world that we never anticipate would have taken place. And we don't have any idea of the specifics of how this is going to turn or that's going to turn, who's going to win or who's going to lose or what's going to happen. But we know the end. So this doesn't freak us out because we do not lose heart. So let me ask you a question Do you believe that? Okay, so now here's the challenge. Every day, believe what you believe. Right? That's what faith is. Faith is believing what we believe about the truth of God, putting our confidence in what we believe. And if we do that, we'll be fine. And then when COVID 19 and all of those restrictions leave and go away, and people start coming back to church in larger numbers and that kind of thing, and people that had great disagreements about masks or no masks, opening up the church or not opening up the church, or any of the other things that we humans can argue about and be frustrated about, the Lord God will give us the power we need to love one another and accept one another and respect one another and just let that be a blip on the screen. Let's move forward in the kingdom, loving one another as the body of Christ. Amen? All right. Hebrews chapter 12, please. The title of the message from Hebrews chapter 12 that I have given it is The Power of Divine Motivation. There's great power in divine motivation. Our text is Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, Briefly, the the task at hand is to lay aside the weights and lay aside the sin that so easily ensnares us and to run this race of life with endurance. That's the task. The motivation for the task is that we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. And our Lord Jesus endured himself the greatest and the hardest and the most difficult thing he could have ever had to endure, that is the cross, and he endured it by his view of the Father and his view of the joy that was set before him. And he then becomes, along with the cloud of witnesses, he becomes the great motivation that we need to lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us And enable us to run with endurance the race that is set before us. So, this is an equipping passage of Scripture. This will get us through the rest of our lives in Christ if we let it. Because this is the truth of the Word of God. Everybody needs motivation. What's motivation? I define it as inspired willingness. Everybody needs inspired willingness to do anything important. You may have seen the movie Chariots of Fire that came out in the 80s. It's the story of Eric Little. Eric Little uh, was a Christian, a serious believer. And uh, he, of course, was, uh, became famous and well-known, not because he won one of the races in the Olympics that year, In uh, 1924 in Paris, but because he decided not to run in the prelims for another event because it was on Sunday and it was against his personal convictions to race and run on a Sunday. So he gave up a major part of his Olympic life and his goals and his earthly dreams because of a spiritual conviction. Well, before that race in the 400 meters, he was handed a note by a fellow athlete. And the note said this. It said, it says in the old book, him that honors me, I will honor. Wishing you the best success. This was a competitor. This was a fellow racer that wrote this to Eric Little. And this served as motivation to him. And, of course... We learn from history that he, run the, he he won that race that day. And he was the victor. Stuart Scott is a deceased ESPN uh, sports commentator. And he had this to say at one occasion before he passed away. He said, for almost 20 years, I've reported on some amazing feats of athleticism for ESPN. But the one thing that stood out Game after game is that it takes a team to win. That's what he learned. There are many, many individual athletic accomplishments, but it takes a team to win. And we're seeing that in professional and in college and in high school sports more and more as the days go on is that the ones that can function as a team, it's all for one and one for all, they're the teams that have the most success. Well, we have a team, in the body of Christ, we have a great team. We've got some amazing players on that team from history. We got Paul the Apostle, man, on our team. <laughs> That's awesome. We got Mary Magdalene, who is a key witness in the resurrection of Christ, on our team. We've got Sarah, the wife of Abraham. Who by faith believed the promise of God and had the strength by the Spirit to actually have a child, even though she was 90 years old? The Spirit gave her the strength to conceive seed. Isn't that awesome to have Sarah on our team? We have Moses on our team. A man who, for 40 years of his life, thought he was something. And the next 40 years of his life, found out that he was nothing. And then the last 40 years of his life, found out what God could do with someone who was nothing. Who knew that God could do something in him and make him something <laughs> isn 't that great? Moses is on our team, and elijah 's on our team and elisha 's on our team, and Peter the apostle is on our team and The person sitting next to you who is in Christ is on our team. And this whole church is on our team. And the believers in the house church in China, maybe 150 million of them, I don't know what the current numbers are, underground uh, uh, leaders that are refusing to obey the government edicts, not to worship and not to evangelize, and so they're going underground. They're on our team. All of them are on our team the believers in Africa, the believers in Brazil, the believers in Central America, the believers in Indonesia, on the island of Java, where there are 200 million people that live, and 90% of them are Muslim. And only 10% of them have any form of Christian connection whatsoever. And those Christians, many of them live in radical Muslim areas that would love nothing more than to kill the Christians. They're on our team, those believers. Isn't it great? And I think that they they sense that we are on their team as well. So we've got lots of reasons to be motivated that the Lord has given us. And so like we've said, Hebrews tells us what to do here in verse one, uh, the second part of the verse, and then the great sources of motivation that the Lord has given us to do it. The first thing we must do is we have to get rid of excess baggage. Let us lay aside every weight. (sighs) Getting rid of excess baggage. On this particular trip, my wife and I live in Lindale, Texas. On this particular trip, I decided to do everything with one carry on bag. It felt so good. (laughs) Just, you know, I can wash clothes, and I have, so don't worry. (laughs) I can wash clothes, but I didn't need this big old honking thing, you know, to carry through the airport and all. It just feels good to travel light. And when you're a runner, which I am not, uh, it's important to lay aside every weight. In fact, runners in Roman times oftentimes were almost naked when they ran. In some cases, they were naked when they ran. They shed everything that was unnecessary for the race. And there are a lot of things that we have in our lives that are weights that are weighing us down that we don't need. Like the weight of unforgiveness. If I'm carrying unforgiveness towards someone, that is a weight. That's an anchor around my soul. That's a hindrance in moving forward. I'm thinking, they don't deserve to be forgiven. Think of what they did to me. They need to pay. And so I withhold forgiveness. In the meantime, they're going dum, 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 dum. They could care less. We're the ones that are suffering, because we're the ones that are carrying the weight of unforgiveness. So Jesus said, when you pray, this is the deal that you're making with God. Say this, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. That's the deal we make with the Lord, every time we pray the Lord's Prayer. Lord, I'm coming to you in prayer, I'm opening my heart to you, but... The covenant that I'm making with you that you want me to make with you is that if I have any debtors at all, I forgive them. That's only right that I should forgive them because you've forgiven me a debt I could never have paid. It's a weight. Unforgiveness is a weight. Worry is a weight. Just look in the New Testament and study it out how many times Jesus addressed his disciples on the subject of worry. In fact, the the great passage on it is in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, chapter six, verses twenty five through thirty three, when he assured them they never needed to worry about their life, about what they should eat, nor about their body, what they should be clothed with, because life is more than food and the body is more than clothing. Consider the birds of the air; they don't sow seed. To be planted. And they don't reap and gather the produce into barns for a future day. Yet your heavenly father feeds them. Consider the lilies of the field. They don't spin. They don't toil. They don't work hard to be beautiful. Yet Solomon in all of his glory wasn't arrayed like one of those lilies of the field. Well, Jesus said, if God so clothed the grass of the field which today is and tomorrow is going to be thrown into the burning furnace of the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow. But seek first the kingdom of God. Be about that. And seek first his righteousness. Be about that. And all these things that you need, will be added unto you. Do not take anxious thought about tomorrow, Jesus said. For tomorrow will take care of itself. There's enough evil in every day to be concerned with. Focus on today. Seek first the kingdom. Don't worry about it. God will provide. And I have used and taken Matthew 6, 33 and 34 in prayer before the Lord many, many times over the year. Lord, you said... That if I will seek first your kingdom and your righteousness, you will provide all that I need to live this life. You'll give me the food that I need and the clothing I need. You'll provide for my needs. Not my greeds, but my needs. And he has. He always answers that prayer. It's a weight. Worry is a weight. Fear is a weight. Doubt is a weight. Everybody has doubts, by the way. Doubt doesn't prove that you're, there's anything wrong with a person but, because doubts are normal and natural. now Doubts actually prove the existence of faith, if you've thought about it like that before. They, only the person who believes anything can have any kind of doubts. <laughs> but lingering doubts, debilitating doubts, those are weights. Feelings of rejection are weights. A person can come into a body of believers into a loving, gracious church like this one and struggle with identity issues and feelings of of rejection and they're looking for evidence almost subconsciously for the way someone might hurt them. Someone will ignore them. Someone, someone won't greet them. Someone won't be kind to them. Someone might give them a look that it was a little odd and seemed weird. And, and so they just feel rejected. Feelings of rejection can be a weight. Lay it aside. You Lay it aside, you'll be able to run the race with endurance. By the way, if you're part of a church body, I guarantee you something. Someone will hurt you. Why are we surprised? We're human beings. Are you flawed? Who isn't? Am I flawed? Of course. I'm going to do something boneheaded that's going to bum you out, and you're going to do something boneheaded that's going to bum me out. Get over it. <laughs> just, just get over it with the grace of God. That's what we have to do is just get over it. Get a grip and get over it. Don't make it about me, and give people some slack. Love covers the multitude of sins. Remember that. Love covers the multitude of sins. It does. If you don't have that attitude, you'll never survive marriage. Very important. Weights. Material possessions can be weights. Too much stuff. Like the two best days of the boat owner's life. The day he buys the boat and the day he finally gets rid of it and sells it. (laughs) Because as long as you got one, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with owning a boat. I want a boat, actually. I don't have one, but... Maybe I'll get one one day. It's not going to be a big one. Anyway, boats. Boats. If you have a lot of stuff, if you have important stuff, then you gotta p- find a place to put the stuff. And then you gotta ensure the stuff. And then you gotta maintain the stuff. And then you gotta worry about the next time you ha- have enough free time to use the stuff. And then you gotta feel pressure in your schedule because you haven't used the stuff for a long time. It's a weight, it's a big ha- pain, you know? to have to deal with. It'd be easier not to have it. I remember walking down this, or actually this is when I used to jog, jogging down the street one day and there was this huge garage, huge. It wasn't a three-car garage, it was like a four-car garage. And and the door was open and there was every conceivable uh, recreational toy you could imagine inside of that garage. And I thought as I was driving, as I was running by, well, running, jogging by walking more quickly than I usually do by <laughs> I thought poor guy he's got all this stuff he's got so much to worry about it can be a weight you know this this whole uh, small tiny house movement that's going on there's a reason for that people are wanting to shed the stuff and live simply there's a, there's a cultural movement toward living more simply. And having uh, lived in 15 places in the last 13 and a half years, my wife and I have moved around a lot for ministry purposes usually, we've, uh, we've discovered the blessings of being lean and mean in what we have. But sometimes we move into a house that's bigger than the one we have before, and it's amazing how quickly that thing can become full. And then you sell that one to move in a house that's a lot smaller than the one you had before. And it's, throw it all away! Get rid of it! Sell it pennies on the dollar! Give it away if you can. And it feels good to get rid of it, even though, ouch, the pocketbook hurts. But not the heart. Lay aside every weight. I remember uh, early days in pastoring in Monterey. (laughs) All the guys went on this uh, backpacking trip for a few days out into a place called Pine Valley, and it was a fun trip. I'd never really done anything like that before, backpacking like that. We camped in the valley, and uh, and then on the way back, and, and it was a, a steep incline on the way into the valley, and then a decline, and so I knew that there was going to be a steep incline on the way out, and then a, a decline. I wasn't looking forward to that hill coming back out of that, that camping trip, several mile hike up that hill. And so I got my backpack on and I started walking and it was drudgery. I couldn't believe how tired I was and we were still on flat surface. And I, I thought, how am I going to make it up that hill? And then one of the brothers came to me and said, Bill, let take your pack off. So I took my pack off and he opened it up and he pulled out this 20 pound rock that one of the, one of the guys had put in the rock in, in the backpack. That's why I was so tired. That's why I was so... I was carrying excess weight. And from then on, my nickname as in that fellowship, and I was the pastor of the church, Boulder Bill, that's what they called me. <laughs> but I tell you what, what they didn't know is that once I got rid of the weight, I almost ran up that hill. I had energy that I hadn't had before because, man, what weight on my back? What backpack? I didn't even feel it practically. It feels good to feel good. It feels good to be free. We have to lay aside every weight. And this can only be done intentionally, brothers and sisters. It can only be done intentionally. Taken stock of what we are about what's weighing us down, what are heavy weights, taking stock of them, writing it down on a piece of paper, and then making a specific plan to get rid of those weights. If we're not intentional, we'll carry the weights for a long time. And we don't need to. We just keep moving ahead uh, in the Lord without the weights. The second thing we must do is we must lay aside our sin. Let us lay aside every weight and let us lay aside the sin which so easily ensnares us. First of all, we have to be honest. Does sin easily ensnare us? What's the answer to the question? Does sin easily ensnare you? I actually know people who don't think they ever sin. Which is also a sin. (laughs) That they don't think they ever sin. (laughs) But Sin does easily ensnare us because sin is a monster. Sin is much more powerful than you are or I am. It came into the universe through the fall of Lucifer and it came into the world through the sin of Adam and Eve and it just exists as this cosmic sort of force, this evil malevolent force that seeks to destroy and dominate human lives. And it's possible to become a prisoner of sin. It's possible to become ensnared by sin. It's possible to be killed by sin. That's how powerful it is. And when Cain killed his brother Abel, the Lord confronted Cain and said, Cain, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is toward you to devour you and destroy you, but you must master it. We've got to deal with sin. We have to lay aside the sin which so easily ensnares us. And I love what John Corson, pastor in Southern Oregon, says. He says, sin is the problem, but remember, sin is not bad because it's forbidden. Sin is forbidden because it's bad. God doesn't say, I don't want you to do this thing because I said I don't want you to do it. He doesn't pull that card. But rather he says, I don't want you to do this thing because this thing really is harmful for you and I love you too much to give you permission to do something that's going to destroy your life or the life of someone else. So you have to deal with sin. We all do. It easily ensnares us And it is forbidden because it's bad stuff and it's stronger than you are and it's stronger than I am. So we have to deal with it. And thankfully we have resources to deal with it. Our old man was crucified with Christ so that this body of sin would be rendered powerless. God gives us the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us because the Spirit in us is stronger than the sin that is coming against us. He's given us his word. Your word, David said, I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. The word of God in us is stronger than the sin that wants to destroy us. Fellowship encourages us as we walk in the light, as he is in the light. We have fellowship with one another. and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son keeps cleansing us from all sin. And our fellowship, our open, honest, authentic fellowship with one another is stronger than the sin that wants to, to destroy us. So all of these means of grace, the Word of God, prayer, the Spirit of God living within us, all of these things, put them all together, and we've got enough to be able to say no to sin and be victorious over it. But that's our responsibility to do it, using the means of grace, to say no to sin and say yes to the Spirit instead. Walk in the Spirit, Paul said, and you'll not carry out the deeds of the flesh. That's the answer. So lay aside the sin which so easily besets us. And what is the source of sin, by the way? The root of it, anyway? Yeah, pride. That's exactly right. It's the middle letter in the word sin. We have an I problem. And I is connected very much closely with sin. I, I, I. That's the failure chapter of Romans. Romans chapter 7. The failure chapter is the I chapter. Where I don't do what I want to do. I always do what I don't want to do. I, oh wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? That's the failure chapter. But the victory chapter... It's chapter 8 of Romans where it says the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. This is what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit gives life. The Holy Spirit kills the sin within. The Holy Spirit teaches us to pray. The Holy Spirit assures us of our sonship. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Him we need. And we overcome sin through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. Sin ensnares us way too easily. I heard this illustration a while back and I thought it was so great. Ever try to get a bone away from a dog? Best way to do it. Best way to get a bone away from a dog. Put a stake on the ground. Now the dog is in evaluation stage. He's deciding what's better the bone or the stake. And then the, then the dog does the next thing. He drops the bone from his mouth and chooses the stake. And in the process, he refuses the bone. And then he lives his dream. The stake is better. I'm choosing the stake. I'm refusing the bone. Ever get sin out of a life? Well, just evaluate. The Holy Spirit gets dropped in front of us like a stake. And the Lord says, what's better, the life of the Spirit or the death of the flesh? And so we evaluate, what's better, the life of the Spirit or the death of the flesh? So we drop the death of the flesh as we go, and we choose the life of the Spirit. And what do we experience? This is much more better, the life of the Spirit. This is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and temperance and faith and self-control. Praise the Lord, I like that. But the old bone that I had in my mouth is anger and frustration and self-seeking and slander and enmity and division and all of those horrible attitudes of the heart that destroy us. Lay aside the sin which so easily Besets us. And then we are to run the race as an endurance race. Run with patience the race that is set before us. That describes an endurance race. It's not a sprint, because we can't keep up that kind of a pace. But it's a, a, an endurance race. It's not the kind of endurance race that the world-class marathoners run, where they're running two-hour-and-nine-minute marathons at a clip of just over four and a half minutes a mile. I can't do one lap around the track probably in four minutes. Well, I can, but just being facetious, barely. (laughs) But it's a pace. I remember years ago, many years ago, I lost a bunch of weight. I I got up to, I think, 214 pounds, and I lost 40 pounds in the course of a couple of months uh, through the various things, and I started running uh, as part of my regimen. This was in my younger days, and it was really hard for me to run. I hated running distances in high school. I didn't mind sprints. I hated anything longer than 50 yards, But then I discovered heart monitors. And this is what a heart monitor did for me. A heart monitor reminded me, as I looked at the monitor on my wrist, what my pulse rate should be in a healthy running zone for my age and weight. And so I would look down at that, and I think at that time it was about 148 was a good range for me at a peak for my running speed. Well, when I first started running... It didn't take long at all for my pulse rate to get up to 148. And so I'd have to calm down and back off and go slower. So I'm just barely crawling along, you know, like this. And I looked down 148. But as my aerobic uh, strength increased and my heart was stronger and my blood vessels were pumping more, more efficiently and, and all of this, this kinds of things, I was just getting stronger. I found that I could maintain the 148 and I'd be going faster. And then pretty soon I was actually running at about an eight and a half minute a mile pace and still maintaining the 148. And there was a hill in Monterey that I thought I'll never be able to actually start at the bottom of that hill and go all the way up to the top running the hill without stopping. But I could because of the heart monitor. I got to the aerobic strength to where I actually made it all the way up to the top of the hill without stopping because it was all about this. This was keeping my pace at the right pace. And I was able to maintain a conversation with running partners that would run with me because my heart rate was at the right rate and I wasn't just, you know, exhausting, gasping for air. It wasn't like that at all. It was more like, you know, kind of a pace. And I could, I could have a conversation. That's what this race of life in Christ is like. It's doable. It's doable. Run with endurance the, the race that is set before us. Because it's like that. It's an endurance race ran one day at a time. And Justin prayed and, and mentioned, you know, we, uh, the mercies of the Lord knew every morning. So true. Grace for today And as the hymn says, bright hope for tomorrow. (laughs) And it's wonderful. He gives us what we need, living one day at a time, an endurance race. So what's the motivation to live this kind of a life? What would actually happen in your life and in mine if I really did this? If I really did lay aside every weight? If I really did lay aside the sin that is currently besetting me or ensnaring me or trying to ensnare me? how free would I be and what would be the level of enjoyment of this Christian life if I really did that and you know what a pastor can't give you the motivation to do that I've never had a pastor give me the motivation to do that in my own life only the Holy Spirit can give that motivation he's the only one where am I going to get it how am I going to find it well There are two very helpful sources of of motivation in our text. The first is, pay attention to the witnesses who have gone before us. Therefore, he says, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us do these things. We are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Okay, so who are they? What is the author to the Hebrews talking about? Well, these witnesses, this cloud of witness, is talking about the men and women that are referred to in Hebrews chapter 11. And if you've not read Hebrews 11 in a while, they are the members of what we call the Hall of Faith or the Hall of Fame of Faith. They are examples of this idea that without faith it's impossible to please God, but with faith it's possible to please Him. These men and women please God through their faith. That's the cloud of witnesses that surrounds us. Now, how are they a cloud of witness? Haley, in his Bible handbook, Suggests that these witnesses are actually now gazing upon us with breathless interest. And that they are actually watching and observing us and know what's going on. I don't know if that's true or not. But they are witnesses. And I know this. They are witnesses of God's faithfulness and they are witnesses of God's power and they are witnesses of what God himself did in their lives and through their lives in those moments where they exercise faith. I mean, Moses is a witness to us about what happened at the Red Sea. Joshua is a witness to us about what happened at the Jordan River and at Jericho and at Ai and with all of the Canaanite people groups. Paul is a witness to us of the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome human Weakness. Peter is a witness to us about how the Lord can give boldness, incredible boldness, in situations where previously he shrunk away in fear and intimidation and denied the Lord. See, these are all witnesses to us about things that they've experienced in their own lives with the Lord, and we're surrounded by this cloud of witness. And it's very motivating for us. Men like Abel, and Noah, and Abraham, and Isaac, and Joseph, and Moses, and Joshua, and Samson, and David, Isaiah, and so on. What a group. They're on our team. Women like Sarah, and Rahab, and so many others. They're the cloud of witnesses, and they serve as great motivation for us. Their lives, their testimonies, they talk of God, and as a result, they talk. They talk to us. We learn from them. It's one of the great reasons for reading the Old Testament. If you're not a reader of the Old Testament, may I encourage you to start reading the Old Testament regularly? Because one of the great treasures of the Old Testament is the stories of great faith. New Testament as well, of course. This is what we need. We need this kind of motivation. Can they see us? I'm not sure. If they can, I'm not sure how they see us or to what degree they see us. That's not really the important point here. The important point is is that their testimonies speak to us and give us the power to live. And I could go into that as to whether or not Heaven is a place that is close to us, in distance, or far from us, in distance. I believe it's very close to us in distance. I believe it's probably just barely above our existing atmosphere. But it's invisible to our eyes. It belongs to another dimension. And the reason I believe that is from several scriptural passages, but one of them stands out when Stephen was stoned in Acts chapter 7. His feet were standing in Jerusalem. He looked up into the heavens and he saw the throne of God and he saw Jesus Christ at the right hand of the throne of God with his human eyes. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Don't lay this sin that they're doing in stoning me to death. Don't lay it to their charge. He prayed. He saw what was going on there in heaven. And there are other examples like that where a dimension is peeled back and a new dimension, uh, the the eternal dimension, is unfolded. Like in the case of Elisha and his servant in 2 Kings 6. His servant said, what are we going to do, master? We're surrounded by the army of the Syrians. And Elisha said, don't be afraid. There are more that are for us and are on our side than there are for them, our adversaries. And I'm sure the servant was saying, what in the heck are you talking about? All I see is armies of Syrians. And then Elisha prayed. He said, Lord, open his eyes, I pray. And the Lord opened the eyes of Elisha's servant. And he saw what Elisha had seen the whole time. He saw the angel of the Lord and the the angelic host, the armies of God, surrounding the armies of the Syrians just opening it up, peeling it back, peeling back the curtain, able to see the dimension that already was there but is not visible to the human eye unless the Lord opens up the human eye to see it. If that's true, which I personally believe it is, that means that most certainly heaven is a very short distance from us. And the Lord is particularly interested in what goes on on planet Earth. Everything that is made is for what happens here on planet Earth. Everything. And we get to be part of that. Very motivating. The cloud of witnesses. They are a great form of witnesses. But the great great form of encouragement, the greatest form of encouragement is looking to Jesus himself. Look what it says in verse 2. He's the author and finisher of our faith. He began our faith, and He will finish our faith. He's the source of our faith, and He's the completion of our faith. And what did He do? Well, for the joy that was set before Him, He endured the cross. And even though it was a source of great shame for him to go to the cross, he despised the shame. He didn't let that stop him. And of course, he died, he rose from the dead, and now he sits at the right hand of the throne of God. So Jesus did this. He endured the cross because of the joy that was set before him. What joy? What was the joy that was set before Jesus that enabled him to endure the cross? Well, first of all, his joy was to please the Father. I am quite sure that Jesus missed being in heaven, having to be here for 33 years. Remember, he added a nature and came to live with us as God-man for 33 years. During that time, he was not physically present with the Father. He had limited himself to living in a human body. Here on earth, he wanted to return to the Father. And the Father and he are the ones that discuss this idea of redeeming the world by going to the cross. The father proposed the plan, Jesus agreed to the plan, and so it was carried out. But Jesus knew that the father would not leave his body and soul in the grave. He knew that there would be a resurrection. And so he was looking forward to the resurrection. But even after he rose from the dead, he still had to hang around here for another 40 days... And then finally, it was time to go home, man. Let's launch out into heaven. And so he ascended into heaven. There's another example. They saw him ascend into heaven and be lifted up out of their sight. Heaven was close. And the idea of pleasing the Father and being with the Father again and having fulfilled the plan of the Father. And I, I can't even imagine this, but the, the, the greatest pain of the cross going far beyond the physical suffering, but the emotional and spiritual, spiritual suffering of our Savior. When the Son of God cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That had never happened, ever, ever. In all of eternity, and certainly not in time, where the Father had forsaken the Son. But that was because Jesus was bearing our sin. He was paying for it. He became sin for us, the Bible says. So the Father did turn his face away, as we sing in our modern-day hymn. He endured the cross to please the Father and looked forward so much to being with him again. But he also endured the cross because of you and me. There's that um, statement in Matthew 13. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who found a great treasure hidden in a field. And for joy over that treasure, he went and sold everything that he had in order that he might buy the field. Because he knew that if he bought the field, he would own the treasure that was in the field. It was a good business decision. The man in that story is Jesus himself. He went and sold all that he had. He emptied himself, Philippians 2 tells us, and became a humble servant, came in the likeness of sinful flesh, Paul writes in Romans 8. He came to be one of us. He emptied himself. He laid aside the free use of his divine attributes. He set that part of his nature aside in order to be fully human and live a fully human life as God the Son, as the Son of God, as the Son of Man. That's what Jesus did. And having done that, he had just sold everything that he had. And in his death and his burial and his resurrection, he actually redeemed and paid for the whole world. He's the propitiation for our sins. Not for our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world. He bought the whole world. Because in the parables, the field in the parables is always the world. And the treasure that is in the world, that is in the field, is none other than those that would believe in Jesus, the church, his bride. He sold everything that he had. He went to the cross to pay for the world, to redeem and buy the world so that he could have the treasure that was in the world, which is you and me, those that would believe in Jesus, those that would trust him. That's the treasure. That was the joy that was set before him. He was looking forward to a bride that he had paid for. You and me, part of his bride. And just realizing that about Jesus, that he endured the cross. And he endured the cross because he was greatly motivated by the joy that was set before him. And just by looking at Jesus and benefiting from his great power, we are strengthened and motivated ourselves to lay aside every weight and to lay aside the sin which is so easily able to ensnare us and to run with daily patience this endurance uh, run that we're on called life. How can I last as a Christian? That was my great fear. I don't know if I can start the Christian life because I don't think I can finish the Christian life. That was my fear. I tried to be a Christian before and I failed every time I tried to be a Christian. It didn't work. So how could I do it? Finally, the Lord brought me to a place where I was ready to at least pray about it and open my heart to the Lord. So I'll just tell you my story a little bit, and that is that I prayed, I said, Lord, I I know I'll fail. I'm afraid to start because ah, I've failed so many times. But if you'll give me the motivation to follow you, I'll follow you the rest of my life. And if you give me the power to follow you, I'll follow you the rest of my life. That was my prayer. And the Lord met me, and I was baptized with the Holy Spirit that day. Later, I read Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, which says, It is God who works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure God gives you the willingness to do his pleasure God gives you the power to do his will and so all of that human effort that I was expending to try to be a Christian was worthless I needed his power I needed his willingness and that's what he began to get that's what he gave me and that's what he's taught me to lean on him for ever since that's how we run this race with patience. We rely on a power that is not our own. We rely upon the power of the Lord. That's how we endure. We endure the way Jesus endured. He, he trusted the Father. He said, I can of my own self do nothing. The Father who dwells in me, He's the one that's doing the works. Jesus didn't even rely on Himself. He relied upon the Father. As a human being, he relied upon the Father to do those great works that he was doing. He said to the Jews, the Father is working until now, and I too am working. That made the Jews so angry they picked up stones to stone Jesus. Jesus asked them, which of these works that I have done gives you cause to stone me. And they said, we're not stoning you for a work that you've done. We're stoning you because of blasphemy, because of what you just said. You, being a man, are constantly saying that you are God. Because Jesus said, my Father is working until now, and I also am working, claiming a unique, divine relationship with God the Father as God the Son. And they knew what he meant, and that's why they wanted to... To stone him to death. So he received divine motivation from the Father just like you and I do. We have to keep our gaze on Jesus. There's the story of two men that were given a challenge. Who would would plow the straightest line in the field? So each of them had a plow. And each of them were pushing their own plow. Who would plow the straightest line? So the first guy, he has his plow, and he's pushing it along, looking down at his feet, making sure that his feet are moving right in front of each other and carefully marking his steps. And after he finished his roll, he looked back, and it was very crooked. The next guy, it was his turn, and he took his plow, but rather than looking down at his feet he found a fixed point out in the horizon and he kept his gaze on that and he walked this way as he pushed his plow. And at the end of his furrow, he looked back and he had a very straight line. You see, if we look down or look within for strength or power to live the Christian life, our life will be very crooked <laughs> and it won't be very effective either. But if we look to Jesus, if we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, He's the fixed point out on the horizon. He's the rock. He doesn't go anywhere. He is stable. He is faithful. He always keeps His word. He always does what He says He's going to do. He's completely reliable in everything. If I keep my eyes on Him, the row of my life will be straight. It'll work. You know, those of you that were with us this weekend, you know enough by now to know that I'm a big fan of receiving motivation from the Lord. (laughs) Because I can't do this life in Christ without him. And you you can't either. And if you don't know that you can't live the Christian life without him, I feel for you. You're going to have to learn it. Or else you're going to give up. And I don't want you to give up. Because if you give up, we're going to be losing one of our soldiers. And you'll not become the person that God has designed that you become, that internally, in his mind, he's wanted you to become so that you could enjoy him forever working with him in his plan for your life. That's a shame. I don't want you to give up. So I want you to experience what I'm learning to experience. And that is how to rely upon the one that does give me motivation to lay aside every weight and they seem to keep wanting to accumulate these weights in my life so I have to keep doing this. This isn't a once and for all thing. And to lay aside the sin which so easily ensnares us. Sin is very crafty. It's even smarter than I am. So it's always hanging around trying to do something to me. I need motivation and I need power. Jesus provides it. Is that true? Amen? Amen. So tonight we're going to gather together, uh, as Justin shared. And it is going to be a healing service. So if you have a physical need that you want the elders of the church to pray for, they will anoint you with the oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise you up. So... If you have somebody that is in your family that has a physical need. If they're a Christian or if they're not a Christian, bring them. We'll pray for them. And God will heal the ones that he chooses to heal. And he'll do stuff that only he can do because that's what God does. And there's also going to be a presentation of the gospel tonight. Pastor Daryl is going to share the gospel to those that come. So bring your friends, bring your Unsaved relatives, bring your neighbors if they have a healing issue or a need. And uh, just watch what God does. Amen.